Welcome to The Money Hour with Tina Mitchell. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, NMLS 7233. The views expressed by the speakers on the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group, LLC. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to the Money Hour on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, May 5th show. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. And first show, I'm so excited for my co-host, Keelan Harlan. Keelan, thanks for uh, joining me here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, very privileged. Thank you. Yeah. New format for us. I'm going to have Keelan here by my side, so I'm not doing this all by myself. <laughs> uh, bringing an expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how it can affect your money. That's what the show is about, and that's what you'll receive. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you're listening to a rebroadcast, but we're here to answer any questions or connect you with the amazing guests that we have in studio today. Please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, it's 1-855-411-50, or you can always go online to themoneyhour.com. And the lineup for today's show... We have John Wilson, our King County Assessor. So excited to have him back in studio. Can anyone still afford to live it here? Well, that's the conversation we're going to have with John. Also in studio, back for a second time, Nikki Rosh, uh, sales, your sales maven, closing the sale. So really closing the sale, this is for any of anybody that's in the audience and listening today that's an entrepreneur or in sales. But also, even if you're not working, Everybody needs to know how to sell, how to sell to get the best out of life in their relationship. So very excited for my conversation with Nikki. And our last guest in studio, first time in studio, very excited to have a conversation with Angelina Wallant with John L. Scott, building urgency around your home sale. Great information and great guest in studio. For more information on any topic discussed, again, you can call the show at 1-855-411-50 or go online at themoneyhour.com. And today we'll start at the show as we do each weekend with a little money chat. Money. Money. Thought I'd talk about our big employer, Amazon in Seattle. Amazon's surprise announcement that it will pause construction in the, on a big Seattle office tower and reconsider moving into another city, perhaps. Uh, council votes on new tax on the city's top grossing businesses. Amazon is deciding whether to slow or stop its rapid growth in Seattle, where left-leaning lawmakers are demanding big business shoulder more of the burden for the challenges associated with the boom. It's a climate that tech leaders have called unpredictable at best and hostile at worst. The city council is considering a so-called head tax that would charge businesses with more than $20 million in annual revenue, 26 cents per employee for every hour worked. Seattle's estimates of tax would generate about $75 million per year. It would eventually be phased out and replaced with payroll tax. The majority of the funds would go towards deeply affordable housing and remain towards homeless services. Amazon would be on the hook for a 
approximately 20 million annually if the tax is passed. Now, contrast that with a billion-dollar incentives package that other cities are offering to Amazon as part of the bids for the company's second headquarters, and it's not hard to see why Amazon may no longer feel motivated to grow in its hometown. Now, in another scenario, Amazon is pausing just two of the several construction projects under underway to pursue the city council in advance of its May 14th vote on the head tax. Amazon informed builders working on the 17-story building. 18 project to halt construction until Seattle City Council votes on the tax. Amazon also said that it's considering subleasing its massive Rainier Square office project in another company rather than occupying it itself, pending the city's decision. Now, Amazon's officials won't say whether they plan to permanently stop construction on the projects or resume them after the city council vote. They have not recommended on the matter beyond their initial statement. Now, there is also another possibility. Amazon doesn't know what its future is in Seattle, what their future looks like in Seattle. Amazon could be pausing construction on a few of its projects to simply wait to see what happens while buildings up in its outposts in Seattle in like Vancouver and Boston. Now it's possible also that Amazon's announcement and its ripple effect in other industries like construction will delay the city council vault. Uh, Council member Sally Bagshaw told City Blog, SCC Insight, we're going to need more time to discuss these issues and suggest that the May 14th vote could be pushed out. Now, Amazon Amazon pulls out of Seattle. We actually do have um, other cities within Washington State that would be interested to have them as their home. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, you know, and uh, being a lot of real estate agents come in and represent the show um, as your host. I'm in the mortgage industry for those of you uh, that are regular listeners know that. And our big issue right now is the lack of inventory at an extreme, extreme level. When you've got 20, 30 offers, you have some neighborhoods that have days of inventory left. Um, You know, even if there's an adjustment with Amazon, we have a lot of employment opportunity here, a lot of growth. So um, um, I'm not really concerned about the outcome. There could be some positive to it. So that was your money chat coming up next in the money hour. Can anyone still afford to live in Seattle? I have John Wilson, our King County assessor, right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break. Are you a property owner or resident of King County? Did you know everybody is affected by the property tax? Do you ever wonder why your property taxes go up or down? Listen in as King County Assessor John Wilson answers your questions. Assessor Wilson will explain the basics of your property tax and relief that may be available if you qualify. For more information, listen in or visit kingcounty.gov assessor. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday May 5th show. It's a great day to talk money, and that's what you'll receive from listening to the show, how to make money more money for your family, have a better quality of life. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to rebroadcast. I say I, but I'm here, we, we with my co-host. Thank you. Uh, we're here to answer <laughs> any questions that you have. You can call the show at one 855 or online at themoneyhour.com. And our first guest in studio, we have John Wilson, our own personal King County assessor. 
And can anyone still afford to live in Seattle? So, John, thank you so much for uh, joining us in studio here. Thanks much, Tina. Great to be here. And a little bit about John. King County Assessor John Wilson was elected in 2015, assumes office having earned the praise of people's both inside and outside King County as one of the most innovative, forward-thinking managers in local government. Wilson served as Chief Deputy Assessor for four years. His work gained a reputation for savvy development of mobile technology and public-facing solutions that enhance customer service while driving down cost. During his tenure, he rebuilt the department's website, increasing traffic tenfold to nearly four million page views a month. Wilson led a team that developed a best-in-class mobile iPad application for field data collection that annually saved hundreds of thousands of dollars to avoid cost. And he spearheaded King County launching the online property tax appeal platform that after two years is handling close to 60% of all appeals for the field. And, you know, hearing the, the bio, a um, little behind the scenes, I mean, this was really needed in the assessor's office to really bring it up to speed of what Seattle has to represent as far as technology. And so um, for all of us taxpayers, a huge benefit for us because that helps to keep our taxes down when costs are down, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So we're talking about um, being able to afford, still being able to afford to live uh, here in Seattle. So tell us a little bit about your background, John, and what led you to run for the assessor position. Well, I have a, a background in and out of both government and the news media, and I've, I've largely grew up out here in the Pacific Northwest. You know, I, I came in and was deputy assessor for, for four years, and it was a operation with a great deal of potential, it needed some fresh leadership that could kind of take it forward. And I was approached by a number of people in the department and elsewhere around the county to, to step in. So I decided to do it. Um, I, I, I love the job, but it's not the easiest of times to be assessor, frankly, Tina. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we, we've hit people with probably the largest single year property tax increase most folks have ever seen. Um, and we've been nevertheless trying to look at ways to work with local jurisdictions, work with the legislature and others to make them aware of the impacts of that kind of property tax increase has on, you know, virtually every family here in King County. John, tell us uh, exactly what does your office do? So what we're required to do by law are a couple things. One is we set the actual value on every building here in King County. There are roughly 700,000 of them. And that's both residential properties, your home, condominiums and that, but also it's commercial buildings like this one where the studio is, um, shopping malls and, and all of that. Those values are then used to calculate what your property tax is. <clears throat> the important thing to understand, though, is we don't actually set the taxes. The local jurisdiction or the state sets the taxes, and then we calculate how much your property tax will be based upon the combination of assessed value and how much money each jurisdiction wants. Yeah, and you know, and the, the good news here, because there's always a good news to um, something that's happening that's challenging. I mean, property values have skyrocketed. So if you you look at the why behind taxes are increasing, um, I what is it, 46% of our taxes are based on the value of our home, correct? Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's the there's always a good side to, to everything. Well, and certainly for, for those of us that were here during the depths of the, the, the kind of downturn. Yes. Um, Every single part of King County now 
is is above what the pre-2008 level was. Of course. Um, and, and that's frankly a little different than elsewhere around the state and elsewhere around the country mm. where there are some parts of the country that still haven't come back up to the pre-recessionary levels. So the good news for people is is that the equity you have in your home yes. is both been restored and is expanding. And that that's something that gives you some flexibility. Yeah, of course. So, John, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing our region that relates to the job that you do? I, I think part of it is is we, we've got to have the difficult conversation about um, what's the limit to the property tax mm-hmm. um, and, and what's the impact? I mean, you, you raised it at the very onset, uh, Tina. Can people afford to live in King County anymore? Mm-hmm. You know, and sadly, uh, week by week goes by where I, I hear somebody who's got a story of, I'm not sure I can stay in my house anymore. Most of them are really kind. They say, Mr. Wilson, I'm not mad at you, but I got mm. your bill, and oh, my God, um, <laughs> and how am I going to pay for this? You, you know, and, and we, we have a senior exemption program that we've um, tried to market very aggressively. Mm-hmm. Some people don't qualify for it. You know, one option for them is to, to, to talk to mortgage folks like you and say, can I refinance my house or can I get a... Look at a, doing a reverse mortgage. Yeah, or, or, or mm-hmm. something that, that would give me some wiggle room for the time being. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the, the great challenge is, is we, we have such a narrow tax base and we now have a sales tax that's at more than 10% here in King County and then a property tax. Across the county, the average was about a 17% increase. But we have, for example, the little community of Carnation. Its property taxes went up more than 31%. Wow. And, um, you know, that's simply not sustainable. So hmm. we've got to figure out how we modernize our tax system. Wow. Well, so we established that taxes have gone up dramatically this year. Why is that, John? Well, the, 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 the principal reason, about two-thirds of the tax increase people saw this year, came from what's called the McCleary decision, which was the legislature responding to a Supreme Court ruling on how do you fund public education as the paramount duty of the state. And they totally changed how we do property taxes and added then a special statewide education levy to it. Now, the eventual notion is that local school levies would be phased out. But this year in particular, you're paying all those local levies and this new state education levy. So that's really what's hammered taxpayers. So, John, we've, <clears throat> we've talked a little bit about maybe some options for people that are struggling, uh, possibly refinance. Might be might be a challenge if they're struggling paying their taxes to be right. able to qualify for a refinance. Reverse mortgage um, might really be a great option, um, great product for the right people. What other suggestions would you have for people that are struggling paying their property taxes. You know, I, I, I think first and foremost would be to get a hold of our office and see whether you yeah. might qualify for the senior exemption. Because what was that program. percentage you said before that people actually are missing out on it because they don't even know that it exists? Right. So, so there, there's probably about 20% of the uh, homeowners in, in the county that That's crazy. Might, might well qualify for mm-hmm. it. And, and we know that, um, you know, depending upon what your income level is, the, the, the qualification steps are really simple, just really three. Yeah, i got to be obviously the owner-occupant of the home, age 61 and older, and have a household income of $40,000 a year or, or less. Now, that's tough in King County because a lot of people, if both of you are retired, may well have just in Social Security more than 40000 Yeah. But then we give you a freeze on your property value and a discount on that, and, and, and that, that can help a lot of folks. Um, there's also a deferral program if you don't mind having a lien. Now, that raises the income level 
to um, $45,000. But basically what the state does is the state repays us the difference between what your discounted value is and what it would be at full rate. But then it has a lien attached to your property so that when you sell it, that lien gets paid off. We generally, frankly, try to uh, steer people toward the um, uh, exemption program because it's a straight off uh, reduction in taxes without any kind of lien on the property. Now, on top of property taxes raising dramatically, home prices and rents also rose dramatically. Uh, Do increases in property taxes play a role in that? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the interesting things, especially I think in the rental sector, is a lot of people who rent, and in, for example, Seattle now it has become a majority rental market, is they sort of assume, well, I don't pay property taxes. Oh, yes, you do. You, you know, it may not be a line item in your monthly uh, rental check, but the fact is is that that goes into the calculation of what any landlord, big or small, is going to figure out what they have to charge you for that rental unit. So you are indeed trying to pay property taxes as well. So, John, I, um, as you you know, I do a lot of work with the homeless community. And actually, uh, today, I have a keynote for the Hoff Foundation. They have... Um, their big event where they're doing a queen for the day. They take uh, 18 homeless women off the street that get pampered all day long and just an amazing event. Oh, cool. Um, and I know homelessness is a <clears throat> huge issue here, um, especially in our Seattle market. How do you um, involve the involvement in looking for answers to assist there? So we, we've been doing a couple things. Um, first and foremost, as I mentioned, we, we cover some 700,000 pieces of property in King County. We have data on all that. Who owns it? How big it is? What's it being used for? Is it vacant? Is it being utilized? And that part of what we've done over the last year or two is we've identified in particular publicly owned pieces of property owned by like the state or the universities or King County or a city like Seattle or Bellevue and that. And, and found those pieces of property that are either surplus or underutilized. And we've been trying to do some matchmaking with, with um, nonprofit agencies to, to help them look at whether they can use some of that property. There are also cases where buildings that are vacant now can be repurposed at least on yeah. a short-term basis mm-hmm. and, and used uh, as, as long as there's some monitoring of it and, and, and that so that it's not vandalized and, and that. So we've done that. And then we're looking at other ways to pri- try to find some opportunities to provide some tax relief to homeowners and renters uh, to make it so that we create more affordable housing or at least we preserve more of the affordable housing that's already out there. So, John, can local officials solve the issue relating to homelessness and housing affordability or is it really do we need help from Olympia? Well, I, I, th- I think it's some of all. I, I mean, there are some things with state law that could be done. There are some that have already been done. Uh, this, this past session, we, we got one provision that uh, will allow um, utilities such as Seattle City Light uh, that, that buy property with rate pair money. Normally, they've had to get full market value for it, even if they're selling it for a nonprofit purpose like housing. We now got legislation passed that will allow them to enter into a negotiated sale of that property. And we've got actually a couple city light sites in Seattle we've identified that could be used for housing. And that that will dramatically cut the cost of building affordable housing and will open up some new avenues where we can do that. There's some other things that we can do at the state level. We've also, though, just as a community, we've got to get smarter about how do we increase supply. I mean, Mm -hmm. you touched on it very. One of the things we're struck by 
is especially in the residential market, almost all sales these days are in a bid situation. Yes. You very seldom see... Crazy bid situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, new stuff that's happening over at the Sesser office. Anything new? So what exciting's going on? One of the things that, that you'll you'll see here, especially we, we did a sort of soft launch of it this last month, but in in August and in November, when ballot measures are on the ballot now going forward, mm-hmm. we have developed and and have online what we call a taxpayer transparency tool. You know, I, I used to get frustrated because the way we normally describe how much is that tax increase going to be is it gets re- reflected in how many lattes it's at. You know, and, 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 and you, well, that's important. Well, it, it, it is, but you know, I find that when I get my tax bill, I go, "Oh my God, I had 167 lattes this month." Yeah. And, Man, am I buzzed? <laughs> True to Seattle. Um, but yeah. but we said, can't yeah. we give people a better idea of what it's actually going to cost them, not in lattes, um, but in dollars? And so, what this transparency tool does is is it allows you through mapping to go to a piece of property. You can go to your property or your neighbors, click on it, and it'll say, here's what's on the ballot, here's what it's going to cost you, click and decide whether you want to pay that or, or, or that, and then see how it adjusts your taxes. And that. And we want to put in the taxpayer's hands some firsthand information to let them make a better decision. Are there any new levies that are of interest to share? Well, we, we'll have a couple of them. It looks like the city of Seattle needs to renew its education and families levy, and Mayor Durkin has also talked about adding her proposal for two years of college to that. That, that could be a significant levy in the city of Seattle. Countywide, at some juncture this year, we will probably have to renew what's called the automatic fingerprint system, uh, identification system, APHIS, mm. um, and that will be across King County. And then there may be some other jurisdictions that will have ballot measures um, come either August or November. Yeah, and it's in, thank you for uh, bringing that up and Keelan, great question, because um, uh, a lot of times people are not, don't, aren't really aware that the levies you're voting for has over... 50% of your taxes are because of those levies. So you really need to pay attention to what you're voting for. So, John, thank you for coming in and, and joining us. Thanks so much again. for having me. Appreciate thank it, you, John. And coming up next on the Money Hour, closing the sale, Nikki Rush, your sales maven, right here at 1150 AM, KKNW, after the short break. Do you struggle with how to talk about what you do? Do you hold back in conversations because you're worried you might come off as salesy or pushy? Would you like to have more confidence when selling your products and services? Nikki Rausch of SalesMaven is passionate about teaching the art of relationship selling and it shows. Entrepreneurs like you hire Nikki for instruction on how to sell in an authentic way so you'll build strong relationships and close more deals. Nikki has helped hundreds of professionals master their selling skills so they confidently ask for the sale and build a thriving business. Nikki is master certified in neuro-linguistic programming and her trainings offer skills that not only help you in business, you'll also improve your overall communication with all the important people in your life. Nikki Rausch of SalesMaven is ready to support you in learning how to sell in an authentic way so you reach and exceed your sales goals. This is Nikki Rausch, SalesMaven. You are invited to connect with me at yoursalesmaven.com or call me at 360-509. 6399. Again, yoursalesmaven.com or 360-509-6399. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. 
Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW. I also have my co-host, Keelan Harvey. Thanks, Keelan, for our first show together. Very exciting. This is the uh, Saturday, May 5th show. We're here to help you build a strong financial blueprint one week and one show at a time. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you're listening to a rebroadcast, but you always can connect with us or connect with the guests that we have in studio by calling the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyr.com. Our next guest in studio, Nikki Rush, your sales maven. Closing the sale. Very excited to have you back in studio, Nikki. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited. And a little bit about Nikki, founder and CEO of Sales Maven, an organization dedicated to authentic selling. Nikki Rush has a unique ability to transform and the misunderstood process of selling, which there is a lot of misunderstood process of selling. With 24 plus years, or I would say over two decades, I've experienced selling as such prestige organizations as the Bill and Linda Gates Foundation, Hewitt Packard, NASA, Nikki shattered sales records in many industries, received multiple top producing awards along the way. Today's entrepreneurs and small business owners from a wide range of discipline hire Nikki to show them how to successfully and authentically without being pushy or salesy. And um, had her in studio before. She's been in, in front of my real estate experts um, as keynote for my Power Hour Lunch and Learn, and just very fortunate to have her today. So, uh, Nikki, our conversation today is around closing the sale. So why is it important to know how to close the sale? Well, it's important to know how to close the sale because that's really where you get to the place where you exchange dollars for services. And I find that a lot of people might be okay in the selling process. And when it comes to the actual close, people tend to stumble. And yet that's one of the most important pieces because that's how you help somebody get what they want or what they need is you move that sale to the close. Nikki, what's the one mistake that most people make when closing a sale? The one mistake most people make is they assume that the other person, the client, the prospect, is going to just say yes and buy. They don't actually ask the question. They don't issue the invitation to move the person to the next step. And isn't it interesting, as an entrepreneur and in sales, which there's a lot of uh, my listeners that are in that industry, that majority haven't figured out how to master this because like you said it's the most important thing because ultimately that's how you get paid that's how you raise your family that's how you give back to your community and so it's you know surprising that this is an area that needs so much assistance so many people are failing and one of the reasons why um, when you open a new business statistics show that you know under two years it's kind of like if you don't make it there's so many businesses that go out of sale out of business because Mm -hmm. they can't sell so So how can you do a better job of closing the sale, Nikki? Well, one of the things I think is really crucial is that once you get to that process where you're ready to close, where you're ready to move to the next piece, Mm -hmm. is that the person takes responsibility for it. You have to stand in this place and be the expert. And it's your job to lead the person to the next step because your client doesn't know what the next step is. They're waiting for you to tell them, what should I do next? So it's really important that you you take the lead, that you really own that responsibility. 
What's an example of some language around closing that could help people? Some good examples of the language you should use when closing a sale. Well, I like to think about closing and always when you're asking for the sale is that you're actually issuing the invitation. So let's say that you have put a contract in front of somebody and you've gotten through the kind of the bullet points behind the contract. Your next step then is to say, now based on this, what questions come to mind? And if they have no questions, then you say, okay, great. Should we go ahead and get this contract signed now? Like you have to actually tell them like, we're going to sign the contract now. And when you say now at the end, it's known as an embedded command. So you're actually moving people, but you're doing it in a soft, kind way and an authentic way. But you have to let them know it's not like, hey, take the contract home, think about it a bunch, and then, you know, get back to me when you're ready. Because people are never ready. People are never ready to necessarily spend money. They want you to help them. They want they want to get to the next step. So you've got to issue that that closing language. And what a disservice that you are doing without having that language because they're there because they want your assistance. Yes. They want your support. Otherwise, otherwise they wouldn't be there with you. And I always say too, um, a disservice is asking a question. Unless they need to make a decision, it's a they have to make a choice in what they want to do. Let's say listing a home for an example, you can't tell them what price to list their home for. But as a real estate expert, you can give them all of the options Mm -hmm. and help them get to the right price to list their home. So asking a question means they need to think about an answer. But if you tell them, here is the next step, here's what I need you to do, and here's when I need you to do it, then you are guiding them exactly to where they ultimately want to be. So um, um, think about that as you're, if you're an entrepreneur, um, you're being a disservice to your client if you don't understand the language and how to help them get to the ultimate goal. That's the reason why they're in front of you. Yes. Again, never be afraid to make a recommendation. This is why people have hired you. This is why they have come to you is because you are the expert. So never be afraid to say, this is my recommendation. This is what I think you need to list your home for. And the next step is for us to sign the contract. I have it here for you. Yep. Please let me know if you have questions. Otherwise, let's go ahead and get this signed today. Makes total sense. So what's the most important thing that you should do once you have asked for that sale? The most important thing that you should do once you've asked for the sale is zip it. Like you are not <laughs> allowed, you are not allowed to speak until they either take action mm-hmm. or they ask a question. Because when you keep talking, which a lot of people do because we kind of get nervous, we're excited, yeah. we really want this deal, whatever it is. So we keep talking. And then what happens is you actually talk people out of the sale because you confuse them, you muddy the waters. So it's so important that once you've issued that invitation language, that you be quiet Mm -hmm. and just wait, let them process, let them sign the document, let them go to the next step. Be willing to sit in silence. It can be painful, it's okay. That makes a lot of sense. So if you've ever been in sales, I'm certain you've heard, I wanna think about it or get back to you. What do you say to people when uh, they say that to you? Oh, well, I, I actually don't mind when people say that to me. A lot of times people get uncomfortable. They're like, oh, they're blowing me off. No, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. And yet again, this is that place where you're the expert. So when somebody tells me I have to think about it, my response is always great. How much time would you like to think about it? Let's go ahead and schedule a time now on our calendars to circle back so that I can answer any additional questions you have. And then we can move to the next step in working together. And then I get a time scheduled on the calendar. So when you when somebody says, I just want to think about it, if you just let it go of like, oh, okay, you let me know, they won't let you know because guess what? 
None of us have time to just sit around and think about it. They'll never, it'll never come back around for them because I don't know about you guys, but we're busy. Like I'm busy. So I don't have time to just sit around and think about stuff. Mm -hmm. I have to have it on my calendar. And then when it's on my calendar, you better believe I'm ready for that next appointment when it comes around. So your clients are the same way. Yes. Get it on their calendar. They'll actually schedule time to think about it. They'll be ready to make a decision or ask you next questions so that you can move them to the next step. And sometimes the next step is, this is not a client for me, which is fine too, but get it off your plate. Yeah. I, no- I noticed, though, that you you led them to the next action, which is the next time you're going to meet to talk about it. So you still led them mm-hmm. to action, but in a different variation. Yeah, that's still a, that's actually still a close, right? Yes. As yes. long as I get the next step scheduled, I have closed and I have attained my outcome, which my outcome yeah. is always to move people through the process. And again, if, if the answer is no, that's fine. I want to get to the no as quickly as possible because... I'm busy. I have other clients to work with. Mm-hmm. And if somebody's not interested or I don't have something that's of service to them or that they need, there's no point chasing after them. That's that's just silly. Yeah. So you can get the closure for you, get the closure for them yes. and everybody's taking care of. I also want to go back to what you said about the stop or, um, you know, really stop that conversation and put an end to it. You know, my formula for a message is confident, powerful and to the point. <laughs> and, you know, that's really how you, we should be communicating everything yes. that conversations that we're having. So, uh, Nikki, what's the purpose of a circle back call? So the purpose of a circle back call, and you need to pre-frame this for your client when you talk about a circle back call, is that it'll be an opportunity for you to ask any additional questions and we'll decide at that point we're moving forward or not. So I'm pre-framing for the client. I expect on that call for you to make a decision. Otherwise, they get on the call and they think, well, we're just chatting again. And and that doesn't move the process forward. So mm. you pre-frame, that's known as pre-framing, for the client. This is what's going to happen on the circle back call. And then when you get them on the call, you say, you know, I'm looking forward to this opportunity to speak to you again. And the point of this call, again, is to answer any questions that have come up since we last spoke and also for us to make a decision. We're working together or we're not. Yeah. And I I love that you're telling exactly this is what's going to happen in this conversation. Mm -hmm. So they're not thinking about it. And I always say that as well is let them know what you're doing right up front so that they're not worried and thinking about, am I going to do this? What's going to happen here? And then they really can't stay focused on what the importance of that conversation or that meeting is going to be all about. Yeah. How should you open the circle back call, Nikki? So just exactly like what I just said here is that you're, again, you're, you're opening it with a preframe. You're letting them know what's going to happen during the call. And kind of what Tina just alluded to, too, the point behind preframing is that you're creating safety for the client. Yes. So your client needs to feel safe with you. They need to know what's going to happen next because believe it or not, even though they're the ones in the, in the seat of making the decision, their money's on the line they might not feel that confident about their decision and they Mm. want to make sure they're working with an expert and an expert's job is to make the client feel safe. And so that there is an opportunity that if there's something that's holding them back, that they realize like, this is my opportunity to bring it up. This is my opportunity to ask you questions. This is my opportunity to make a decision. Yes or no. Yeah, love that. So last time you were here in studio, uh, we talked about converting casual conversations into sales. And why is that something that people really want to prepare for? The reason you want to prepare for converting casual conversations into sales is because, let's be honest, you're having casual conversations all the time. Yes. Right? Everywhere you go, there is an opportunity for somebody that you meet 
to potentially be a client for you. Mm -hmm. And we won't know if they're a potential client or not unless we understand the process. So the process around doing that, the first thing is always to be able to create a little curiosity. Kitty, kitty. Hair, kitty, kitty. That's, oh, that's right. That's yours. Hair, yeah. kitty, kitty. <laughs> Got to talk about the hair, kitty, kitty. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to say something that sparks some interest, that allows mm -hmm. somebody to ask you a follow-up question. So just for your listeners who maybe didn't hear about this on the last show, it's the opportunity when someone says, like, hi, how are you, that you don't just give a fine or a good answer, yeah. that you give an answer that opens the door to talk a little bit about who you are. So right now, if somebody says, hey, how are you? I'm going to say, oh, I'm fantastic. I'm headed to do a radio show. Uh-huh. Because now somebody can say, well, radio show, what is that? And your, cl your clients every week, I mean, they're pl they're preparing their Hello Kitty Kitty. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, it's kind of a fun thing when you get around your circle of people that they're like, oh, yeah, here's my Hello Kitty Kitty. <laughs> they know, too, because they when when we play with this on our private Facebook group, uh -huh. we, I, have a, I have a group coaching program. Or when somebody says something, everybody's like, ooh, here, Kitty Kitty, because they know. Like, ooh, that's a curiosity-creating statement. Nikki, what are a couple examples of some buying signals? Buying signals. I love buying signals. So uh, <laughs> a couple examples of buying signals. One is when somebody comes to you and they ask you a question that's based like, so for instance, if somebody was going to like hire you, what would the process be? They make it sound like they're asking for their invisible friend, like they're somebody <laughs> else, Third party. but they're actually asking for themselves. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So when they do that, they're in the privacy of their own mind. They're already going through the process of what it might be like to work with you. So when you get a signal like that, your job is to answer the question first, tell them what it's like for them to work with you, and then invite them to either schedule the next step with you, whatever that next step is. Mm -hmm. Might be a discovery call. It might be to go do a walkthrough at their home. Might be to pull some information and sit down and go over it, whatever that is. So that's one example of a buying signal. The one, I think I mentioned this on your last show, so I'll just mention this one quickly because it's the most missed buying signal is when somebody gives you a compliment. When they say yeah. something, they say something complimentary about your product, your service, your company, that is a huge buying signal. Mm -hmm. And you want to just, you know, most of us have really good manners, right? So someone gives you a compliment, you say, thank you. But I want you to say, thank you. How might, I be, how might I be a resource to you? And yeah. then you wait. And what's nice about the way I just phrased that is that there's really no context to it. So it doesn't automatically assume like, hey, I'm trying to sell you. Mm -hmm. It's just, how might I be a resource to you? And then it allows people to go, well, I maybe could use a refinance, you yeah. know, or yeah. I'm just wondering, like, could I refinance my home to help pay for the new taxes or yes. whatever's going on in there? In there. Love it. Yeah. And I always say the worst thing you can do is, oh, thank you. That's my job. Instead, go, thank you for recognizing how hard we worked for you. You <laughs> yes. know, what? who else can I help? Same thing. Yes. Yeah, love it. Nikki, thank you so much for coming back in studio. It's always a pleasure to have you here. And you. Uh, if you're not already in the calendar, I think you are on the calendar for 2018. I am. Or 19 for a Power Hour. September, I think. Okay, awesome. All right, Nikki, thank you. Thank and you. Uh, her information, of course, is on the website uh, for the show. So connect with Nikki um, if you're an entrepreneur any type of sales, um, you need to connect with her because she is awesome. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you. Coming up next on The Money are building urgency around your home sale. Angelina Walnut with John L. Scott right here at 1150 AM KKNW after the short break.
you struggle with how to talk about what you do? Do you hold back in conversations because you're worried you might come off as salesy or pushy? Would you like to have more confidence when selling your products and services? Nikki Rausch of SalesMaven is passionate about teaching the art of relationship selling and it shows. Entrepreneurs like you hire Nikki for instruction on how to sell in an authentic way so you'll build strong relationships and close more deals. Nikki has helped hundreds of professionals master their selling skills so they confidently ask for the sale and build a thriving business. Nikki is master certified in neuro-linguistic programming and her trainings offer skills that not only help you in business, you'll also improve your overall communication with all the important people in your life. Nikki Rausch of SalesMaven is ready to support you in learning how to sell in an authentic way so you reach and exceed your sales goals. This is Nikki Rausch, SalesMaven. You are invited to connect with me at yoursalesmaven.com or call me at 360-509-6399. Again, yoursalesmaven.com or 360-509-6399. Are you a business owner stuck on the hamster wheel of just keeping up with your daily demands of your business? Are you letting clients, friends, and family down because things are slipping through the cracks? Or maybe you're a business owner with a team that's having a hard time with leadership. Elise Enrique's productivity coaching helps solopreneurs and entrepreneurs just like you create simple systems for sustainable success. And they help small business owners get their team on track so that everyone can work together to help their customers and business grow. Elise Enrique's productivity coaching can help you create your bonus brain that will hold everything that needs to be remembered so that you can use your brain to solve problems and dream bigger. Elise is a certified life coach and Myers-Briggs Type Indicator Facilitator that helps her clients achieve consistent year-over-year growth. And Elise takes a highly personalized and customized approach to helping her clients achieve their goals with less stress. This is Elise Enriquez with Elise Enriquez Productivity Coaching. To get more information on overcoming the overwhelm of entrepreneurship, you can call me at 206-909-2117 or reach me online at eliseenriquez.com. Again, that's 206-909-2117 or eliseenriquez.com. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Now, back to the show with local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell. I also have my co-host, Keelan Harvey, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, May 5th show. We bring in studio each week the best of the best experts in our local market on everything money. We're here to help you in today's economy. If you're hearing our show at a different time or day, you are listening to rebroadcast, but we're here to connect you with the guests that I have on that we have on the show, 1-855-411-50, or go online at The Money Hour. Com. And last guest in studio, first time in studio, very excited to have a conversation with Angelina Wallant with John L. Scott, building urgency around your home sales. Angelina, thank you so much again for being here today. Thanks for having me, Tina. It's nice to be here with you and Keelan. And a little bit about Angelina. She's managing broker with John L. Scott in Redmond. She's been with John L. Scott for 15 years, specializing in greater Seattle Eastside area for the last eight years. Angelina has also served on the relocation teams of some of the largest corporations in our area. Angelina is a member of the Council of Residential Experts and a nine-time winner of Five Star Agent Award. Congratulations. That's mm-hmm. a huge honor. 
Uh, she is a mom of two brilliant college-age ki- kids, uh, one in L.A. and one in Portland. She lives in Sammamish with her charming husband and three cats, though she does claim that she is not a crazy cat lady. In her free time, she likes to hike travel, read, work out, and try new restaurants. And what a great uh, hobby when you're a real estate agent because you're really getting around and seeing what this amazing um, Seattle area has to offer for our home buyers. So excited to uh, have a conversation, uh, Keelan and I, about building urgency around your home sale. So uh, we all know it's a seller's market out there, and sellers may think that they can just take a few pictures with the cell phone, put it online, and count the offers that come in. And what would be your response to that and how that could actually be devastating in their success of home selling? Well, sure, you could do that, but you can do a lot better than that. Yes. Um, uh, people, I think, may assume it's such a hot market that you don't necessarily need to do a lot of preparation or think too much about it, but it will pay off if you do, no doubt. Yeah, and pay off by um, netting a higher price and really being able to get those multiple offers coming in. And I think that's what people miss is, yeah, you can get an offer. You can get an offer in days, maybe a week. But do you want to get multiple offers as most as you can? And then who's going to help you navigate through all of that craziness? Exactly. So what happens when you get these multiple offers if you should be so lucky to get them? I mean, it's it's a lot of preparation. So Mm -hmm. it's getting your home looking like it needs to look, getting it staged and cleaned up and getting your yard looking good. Um, But it's also anticipating what buyers are going to be thinking about. So it's kind of putting your buyer hat on and thinking, okay, if I'm a buyer, what am I going to be concerned about if I'm trying to buy a home? Mm -hmm. Um, And what that basically boils down to is contingencies or conditions that they would want to include in their offer um, that they would include if it were a normal balanced market, um, but that they are waiving today because of the kind of market that we're in. So we try to make it as easy as possible for a buyer to say, okay, I want to make an offer. So we put all the information forward that we can. So for instance, I might tell um, a seller, why don't we do an inspection before we put the house on the market and have that available so that other agents and their buyers can download it Mm. so they can see what's up with the house. Um, Depending on where this house is and how we're going to price it, we may not need to deal with those issues, um, but just putting them out there so that they're not a question for a buyer. Um, There's a lot of buyer fatigue going on. Um, A lot of buyers are spending their own money to do inspections before they make an offer. It's their own pre-inspection and um, you know, at my office, you can talk to a lot of other agents. There are buyers who spent thousands of dollars on inspections on homes that they've never gotten. So doing this for them with a mm-hmm. reputable inspector who's not someone's uncle, I mean, just someone who is well-known and well-respected, um, it takes away an obstacle for a buyer. They can still do their own inspection if they feel like it before making the offer, but they can also save a few dollars and say, okay, I've got the big picture here, licensed bonded inspector, I'm good. Um, Another thing is the title contingency. We can have the title information available ahead of time so that people can review that. Um, And so when we take those steps, we take away obstacles, we take away questions. Um, One thing that I think is really helpful too is, you know, when you are listing a home as an agent, you don't know who your counterpart is going to be. And 
most of the time it's a very talented, experienced agent, um, but sometimes it might not be. Yeah. Yeah. Angelina, what are some strategies that you can uh, that you use to make sure your sellers have the best possible outcome? Well, some of the things that you know I just mentioned, but mm-hmm. also helping the other agent who you are going to be working with to be prepared. So offering them as much information and coaching as possible so that they can make the best offer. Um, it may be that agent's first offer they ever wrote. Um, this language, you know, English may not be a language that they're strong in. They may be. Um, not super experienced. It's so you want to make it easy for them to do a good job, and you want to be a partner to them and not adversarial. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we help with the preparation of the home. We anticipate any issues that buyers are going to have, and then we do something called a listing launch to create the urgency. So, um, what I like to do is get the home on the market on a Wednesday or a Thursday, and then say that we're going to review offers on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and so you are taking advantage of buyer psychology. You're getting as many people into the home as possible and then getting them ready to make that bid, mm-hmm. um, knowing that they have a deadline. They can't just wait and see. Yeah, and so it's interesting. With every market, thinks there's different strategies and things that come into play, and you're really thinking about how do we maximize this opportunity in this market, which is, in this example, is the listing launch. So from a seller's perspective, um, talk about the, the benefit of a listing launch. Well, it's taking advantage of buyer psychology. So right now, if, if you're a buyer, chances are you are, you know, you've got your cell phone in your pocket and mm-hmm. it buzzes every time there's a new listing and you're like, oh, this could be it. This could yes. be the one. You know, a lot of buyers. Or finally, there's one. Finally. <laughs> Is this it? Yeah. And a lot Can of, I get the offer? <laughs> a lot of buyers have lost. Yes. Over and over. So yeah. they think this could be it. There's mm-hmm. not much to choose from. Inventory's low. So you take advantage of that buyer psychology and that that scarcity in the market and um, try to make the most of that and get them as enthused as possible for the home so that Mm -hmm. they can show up on Tuesday with the strongest possible offer for you. Now, what if a buyer wants to submit an offer before the offer review date? Well, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, ultimately, it's the seller's decision. Um, Mm -hmm. I try to talk with them ahead of time to see how they might feel about that. Um, you know, I've been in a situation representing buyers where we've stolen the house by making a good offer before the offer review, and then, you know, all the other buyers are mad. Um, <laughs> generally, if someone will make an offer ahead of time, they're probably going to hang around until the offer review date. Um, and that will give you a good idea of what a starting price might be. Yeah. And so it's interesting in in really doing everything that you can to win in this offer, because I know that there are agents that coach their clients that I know there's an offer review date and, you know, but let's get in, you're going aggressive and let's tease them a little bit and see what happens. Um, You know, worst case, it doesn't work. And then you're going to be there with all the other, uh, the offers that come in. So Angelina, what are the things that sellers are looking for um, in the, in this multiple offer arena? Well, you'd think it would be price, right? Like you you're looking so. for the highest Unless price Unless you're behind offer. the scenes like we are, right? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, I think the most important thing is certainty. So mm-hmm. have they waived all of their contingencies? Um, contingency is just another word for a way to bail on your offer. Um, if someone comes in with a non-refundable earnest money deposit that they're going to wire you to escrow and give to you on Monday, uh-huh. and they've waived all their contingencies and their offers may be a little bit lower than someone who does have a contingency in there, well, 
I want to say that's your surest bet. Um, yeah, so share a couple of those contingencies that you're talking about. So, for example, inspection is one mm-hmm. of them. Title. Now, that's a contingency that is completely subjective. Someone yes. doesn't have to give a reason. They're like, oh, yeah. oh I, I want to get like out of this it. deal. Yes. Lol, I'm out of mm-hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's one of them. And financing, financing as you know mm-hmm. very well, uh-huh. um, you'd like to be working with a buyer who has all their all their ducks in a row and yes. has gone through underwriting and is ready to close with yeah. a great lender. And when they weigh the finance contingency, they've gone through underwriting, but things could happen and they could lose their job and then they're going to be stuck out on the earnest money. I think that's important. And also the other one's appraisal. You know, just waiving the financing includes appraisal, but sometimes you'll see that they'll say, well, we'll pay 50000 100000 whatever it is over the appraised value. Um, it's surprising though how much on the consumer side, unless you're behind the scenes like the three of us are, is that they don't realize, I've had a client that's before so now I just tell them um, first I go back let them know you need to really consult with your your real estate expert because they're the ones that are working through the contract with you but if it comes up in conversation um, you're not gonna have to buy the house you're gonna lose your earnest money so that thirty thousand dollar earnest money you put down but I've had you know a client said well gosh I I don't have the money to buy the house well it isn't that crazy I mean so really being able to explain the whole dynamic of what this risk really is right exactly and that's a conversation that needs to be had well ahead of time if you're not ready to play in this arena maybe you need to be looking at a different price point or a different area that maybe isn't so competitive yes yeah the fact of the matter so how I mean can Considering multiple offer scenarios, how do you educate your seller on which is the best offer and which one to choose? Well, so I've got my handy-dandy spreadsheet that goes over (laughs) every possible variable that there is in the contract. And what we're looking for are, um, are there any red flags or ways that this buyer can try to get out of it? Um, If it's cash, is the cash in the United States? That's a big deal. Um, If it's alone, um, who's the lender? Is it somebody mm-hmm. you can trust? Is it somebody that can get it done quickly? Um, have they waived their appraisal? Um, yeah. The worst thing is when someone offers you a tremendous offer, it's so very high and it's so dazzling, yet they have an appraisal contingency in there. That means if the house doesn't appraise, you're not yeah. going to get that amount as the seller. They give it with one hand, they take it away with the other. That's what yeah. you want to avoid. Yeah. So let's talk about multiple offer situations that backfire. Well, okay, thank God, and I'm very grateful that I have experienced this on the buyer side. Uh-huh. Um, it has not happened to me on the seller side, thank God, and I don't want it to. Um, I had a buyer who made an offer, and um, they lost. They were one of the runners-up, which you get nothing for being a runner-up. Um, the person who did win never deposited their earnest money. Oh, my god! So they weren't a serious buyer. Um, so what ended up happening was the agent who had that home listed mm-hmm. tried to do another offer review the following Tuesday. And you don't get a second chance yeah. to make a first impression. And uh, we ended up, very luckily, getting that home for $50,000 less than what the first buyer had agreed to pay for it. Wow. So that was lucky for us. Lucky kind you, of sad not so for lucky for that seller. seller. Yeah. But that's how it can backfire. You choose the wrong person yes. to buy the home. Yeah. So what's your best advice for a seller today in the market? My best advice is to hire somebody that they trust, who has a really good track record, who has strong relationships with lenders and inspectors and other professionals, um, and has been around, around the block a few times, knows what they're doing. Don't take a chance. 
Yeah, and, and great advice, Angelia. It's so important. And that's what the show is all about. Why Keelan and I are here is really to build a um, a team of the best of the best experts in all area regarding financing. We represent the mortgage space, and I don't think that there's really too many people out there that can provide a better uh, quality of service than we can. But there are so many other things from real estate, coaches, our um, King County assessor, and everything that's happening over there. And so um, we just really appreciate having you here, your wealth of information. Information. Um, and if you're listening to the show, it was a great show. Get great guests as always. Please call the show at 1 855 400 1150 or you can go online to themoneyr.com if you missed any of the amazing guests. Of course, the podcasts are there. And so, Angelina, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tina and Keelan. Thank you. And this is your host, Tina Mitchell. And Keelan Harvey. Our co host, signing <laughs> off for the day. We'll be here same time, same place next weekend, right here at 1150 a.m. KKNW. Have a great weekend, everyone. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Gateway Mortgage Group LLC, NMLS 7233. The views expressed by the speakers on the preceding program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Gateway Mortgage Group LLC, nor are they necessarily endorsed by Gateway Mortgage Group LLC.